podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, welcome to the Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals. We get their views on the latest sporting issues. Hey guys, and welcome to the Tap and Go podcast where we talk all things rugby with players, coaches and pundits from across the world. Today, we have a prolific try scorer. He's dominated the rugby world in the NRL, the Brumbies in Australia, Montpellier in France, and most recently Leinster in Ireland. Welcome, Joe Tamani. Hey, how's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure. So, Joe, obviously, we're in all in quarantine at the moment. It's been quite a tough time. How have you been keeping fit and keeping ready to get back into rugby when it comes about? Um... Yeah, we, we got given equipment and stuff to sort of, and, and given programs to, uh, you know, stay in shape. And, and they've been monitoring us um, through GPS data and that. So, um, you know, Leinster controlled it pretty well. Uh, just sort of difficult part of the, the season, I guess. And, um, uh, yeah, all the boys have come back into tip-top shape, which is good. And that's, uh, yeah, that's down to the... S&C stuff that have sort of helped us maintain. Well, obviously, the big news in the last 24 hours is that you're actually leaving Leinster. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> any inklings where you're going to be heading next or what's next for you in rugby? Uh, no breaking news here, brother. I can't really uh, spill the beans. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll, there will be a decision being made hopefully in the next week or so. Um, and then I'll be able to fill you guys in more. Perfect. Sure. So, um, so I guess you started your career in the NRL and then you switched codes and went to Union. So I guess you had the likes of um, Izzy Falau doing the same, Marika Corybetti, Andrew Walker. Um, what makes sort of the transition, especially for wingers, so fluent, I guess, to back to Union? And what were some difficulties that you found? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I started off playing rugby union. Um, when I was a kid, I, I'd always played rugby union. I never really played uh, rugby league as a kid. And, and then uh, when the opportunity came to, to go to Melbourne, um, you know, I, it, it, was, it was a chance for me to sort of, I guess, spread my wings a little, um, test the waters and, and see how it would go. Um, I was a little bit nervous about it, to be honest with you, because, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd never really lived, lived away from home before. And uh, I, I would have been 17 when I moved down. So. Um, you know, that, that was nerve-wracking. Uh, but I did a lot of growing up which, uh, through that experience, so that was really cool. Um, so my transition is completely different to, to say, um, Israel, because Israel sort of played rugby league through throughout his career um, and then sort of had to make the transition to Union. So I think, you know, there, there's not many players like Israel. Um, he's a special talent man he, he's you know he's just one of a kind really um, and you have seen like a lot of league players who have tried to cross over to Union um, and have struggled a little bit um, uh, but they're mainly in, in different sort of positions you know like they're, they're sort of your, your 10-12s um, who've sort of come over um, you know because they're not used to having so such minimal space to create um, but yeah, I mean, for wingers, I, I think the transition is just a little bit easier because um, your roles are basically the same. There's probably a little bit more, um, I guess, defensively for wingers in union, there's a little bit more to do um, 
in terms of you know reading attacking schemes and stuff and making sure you you're staying in your defensive systems but um other than that like i think everything else is the skill sets can correlate quite easily i think in your opinion because obviously rugby league and also the afl they're so huge in australia and union almost takes a slightly back seat how do you think that union can try and compete and sort of gain the audiences that league and afl are well to be honest with you, i think they've narrowed their market um for a long time in, in australia it's such a you know i i only played union because my my family loved rugby and you know if if i wasn't going to a private school um if you don't go to a private school in australia you're probably not going to play much rugby and if you don't have pay tv you're probably not going <laughs> to see much rugby either so it's quite difficult to i guess gain any sort of um an audience or have any sort of impact at a grassroots level if you know if your markets if you narrowed your market completely um afl and, and rugby league um they've done so well in in expanding their uh expanding at a grassroots level and you know uh, i guess they play on um a lot of like those heartwarming stories with you know guys have come from you know out in the country made it big in the big city that those sort of heartwarming stories that that make people want to be a part of that sport because it's you know some some people see themselves in in that person's shoe I, I don't think we've had enough of that in rugby in australia for my my opinion mm. so i guess there's the recent announcement that the um the kangaroos so the australian rugby league team will play the all blacks in december um, what what are your thoughts? I guess because they're going to make a hybrid. Sorry, has that been confirmed? Has it? I think penciled in December fifth, the date. Yeah. And they're oh. saying like the scrums are going to be rugby league, but they're going to have eight tackles and they can do malls. And it sounds and fourteen man game sounds pretty um hectic. What are your thoughts on this strange hybrid fixture? Oh, <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see how um, who adapts the best. Um, you know, both both teams are full of full of talent, talented players. Um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see who who could adapt the best. Mm. I mean, you got a lot of players in in the Australian Rugby League side that could easily play Union, and vice versa. Like a lot of guys in in the All Black side who could do well in Rugby League. So, um, you know, I, I think it'd just be down to who could adapt to the rule changes as well as possible. Yeah. Moving on to your time at Brumbies, you and Henry Spate were both unbelievable on the wings. Whenever what we watched you play, it was like one of you definitely going to score. What was it like being such a dominant, almost being guaranteed that you're going to score tries and being so dominant on the wing? I appreciate your kind words, man. But um, yeah, um, it, it was it was easy for us because we knew like uh, we had world class talent inside us. You know, like we had guys like Christian Lelefano, uh, Matt Tomua. Uh, Nick Wyatt, Tavita Kundrani, like that was our backline. You know, and then we had Jesse Mogg as well um, at fullback who who was, you know, supplying supplying all the space for us. Um, so, you know, it it was an is an unbelievable part of my career. Um the five years in um at the Brumbies were very enjoyable. Um, you know, I often talk to the boys about um, you know, our time back there and uh 
we sit and reminisce about all the good times that we had. It was, it was, it was crazy, but you know, I think the reason why we were so successful is because of the talent that we had inside us. Yeah. So what were also the, what was it like being coached by Stephen Larkin? who's obviously a world-class fly off in his day, a tactician. So did he sort of have the insights as a player and understood what you guys went through? Yeah. And that made it easy for us to learn the game um, and, and grow in the game. Um, I don't miss his back, uh, backs meetings because they used to go for hours. <laughs> we used to watch clips of like every single line out, set piece play. He'd be breaking down everything. So, you know, he used to overload us with data yeah. all the time. But that's, that's probably why he was such a successful rugby player in himself because he, he would have been doing that when he was playing. Um, and that, that made us successful. So, um, the opportunity to learn from him was unbelievable. I'm so grateful that I that I got to have him as as a backs coach first, and then as a head coach. Mm. So obviously, when you're playing Brumbies, were there any teams that you least look forward to playing, or any teams that you sort of love playing? So the atmosphere of the stadiums, or um, you know, I, I have a love hate relationship with a lot of teams <laughs> <laughs> we play against. Um, the Waratahs is a love, uh, like, I love playing, uh, playing against them because, um, you know, you know, the, the, that, that's the derby. So, you know, you're going to get like a good crowd, good atmosphere and stuff. But I hated playing against them because they're, yeah, because they're, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to be throwing stones at everybody. But yeah, I just hated playing against them because, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the Reds, the Reds back in their prime when they had Quaid, um, Will, um, especially off the back of 2011 when they won the championship. Um, and, and, you know, they were like the team to beat. I, I loved playing against them, especially in Brisbane. You know, they used to pull crowds like 30, 40,000 people come. It's packed to the rafters and, and um, you know, always a good contest. But I think the teams that I... I didn't really enjoy playing the, the Bulls in Pretoria. They're, they're always tough. A physical big bunch and that pitch is hard as hell so your joints always sore after the games so in 2015 you went to England um, with the World Cup and you I guess Australia made it to the finals but one of the things I remember reading is that sort of the camp the Wallabies camp was just a fun place to be I guess they had music playing a lot what was it like being part of the boy like part of the boys in the group Oh no, that was a really cool experience. And uh, Czech would have been that would have been, yeah, it was sort of coming to the end of his first year with with the Wallabies. Yep. He, he joined what two thousand end of two thousand fourteen spring yep. tour. So like as soon as he as soon as he came, he brought all that energy. Um, you know, or or just tried to bring, I guess, just try to loosen the tension a little bit uh, in amongst the playing squad. Um, and I guess try to install that that, that kid-like um, nature that you used to have when, when you first started playing rugby. You know, you just played it because you're with your boys and you're playing it because you, you enjoyed playing. And I think he tried to bring that sort of vibe back. Um, and that, that helped us a lot. Um, so, so it was really cool to, to sort of experience that. And, um, and, and yeah, so... Thanks, Czech, for bringing me along for the ride. It was cool. 
Um, the squad obviously very successful in the group stages. You beat England and Wales very comfortably. I was at the England game, you smashed us. Um, but then in the quarters, you struggled to beat Scotland. Would you say that was mental fatigue and because it's slowly getting to the latter stage of the tournament? Or was that uh-huh. element of perhaps complacency? I can't, I, I'd never say that we were ever complacent because of the takeaway from Scotland's performance. You know, they played really well. Um, no. And, you know, people were saying that we probably should have blown them out or whatever. Uh, whatever, whatever. Because of the way we played against Wales and, and, and England in the group stages. But, you know, Scotland were, Scotland were a great side. Um, you know, and they, they gave us a tough, tough, tough battle. Um, so for us, for me to say that we were complacent would just take away from their performance and, not, and I, I don't want to do that. Like, I think that they played well and we were just, I guess, lucky that we, we got the result in the end and we just did enough to, to come away with the win. Hmm. So in the finals, you, um, I guess you fell short to the All Blacks. What was the mood like in the camp after? Sort of, was, was there a feeling of regret or did everyone feel that they did their best? Or? Um, well, like, I wouldn't say regret, you know, like yeah. we all, everyone left it out on the field, you know. Yeah. Um, so obviously there was, there was a bit of disappointment, but there was a lot to celebrate because uh, after, after that World Cup final, well, after that World Cup series, we sort of revived rugby a little bit back in, uh, we mm. sort of brought a buzz back to Australia and, and um, you know, that, that was, that was awesome. Um, so there, there was a little bit of success. Obviously, we didn't walk away with what we were, uh, what we're after. But um, yeah, I think we just went out there. We <clears throat> we did we threw everything we had we had at them and just came up short. It was just one of those. Sure. Obviously, Australia had a slightly less successful tournament this year. Where do you think they went short when they? Um, when they're playing England or? Uh, well, I think from my perspective, looking uh, looking as, I guess, from the outside in, just looked like there was no real real um, evolution to, to their game. Uh, whereas everyone else had evolved in the four years, you know. Um, everyone else got better and we sort of just plateaued. We we got better bit by bit, but we didn't grow as fast as mm-hmm. as um, as everyone else. Um, you know, you look at the the South African side in 2015 compared to the one that just won 2019. They're like like completely different, completely different teams. You know, uh, same with England. Uh, they they're a completely different squad. Same same similar squads, but like you know, their their evolution. From 2015 and 19, you know, it was amazing. So, and I just feel like Australia probably didn't evolve as um, their playing style didn't evolve, um, which is probably why they fell yeah. short. So, so obviously, Australian rugby is now going through quite a big reshuffle. There's going to be a new coach and new director. Where do you see them going from here onwards? Um, I see, I see. Moving positively. I mean, Dave Rennie's had a lot of success with, with Glasgow and also had a lot of success with the Chiefs when he was uh, when he was there. Um, so I think what he'll bring is is something that Australian rugby needs. Um, and like hearing hearing him talk 
in the media and press now um, just gives me confidence that, you know, he'll have a really positive outlook on, uh, on you know, the future of rugby and hopefully, um, you know, it could just get better. Mm. Um, so who would you like to see as the Wallabies' back line for the first fixture? Well, it depends on, like, if they, if they change their rules. Yeah. There, there's speculation that they'll be able to pick um, people who are qualified for... Uh, well, people are based in Japan and mm. um, New Zealand. If they're, you know, they're qualified to play for Australia, then he'll... So if they change that, I, I'd like to see... Uh, well, Nick White will definitely start at nine because Wolgeny is retired. Um, Over Tate? Tate McDonough? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you can't rush you can't rush guys like him. Yeah, um, he's an outstanding player, but you're not going to do anything good for his development if you just throw him into into the deep end, you know, without any sort of I guess support. Like you got to gradually bring him in, um, build his confidence, build his um, you know his game awareness. because game awareness at an international level is completely different to Super Rugby. Um, and then you know he's got Nick White there who who could learn off. Nick's Nick's yeah. one of the best halfbacks in the world. Well, from my like from my biased opinion, I, I think he's one of the best halfbacks in the world. Um, you know, he saw what he does, what what he did at Exeter, and how much he meant to that squad. So, like, Tate would be uh, would be the halfback of the future. But I think Nick White's um, your your man right now. Mm. And then. Where we're where we're short right now is probably tens, tens. Um, so if they bring back players from Japan, you could go Bernard Foley, you can go Christian Lilly Funnel, or you can go Matt Moore, who's at the Rebels. Um, all good choices. All have been there, um, you know, since what 2012, I think. Um, so they they know the systems and stuff. Uh, very very experienced, and you probably need. That experience at ten, especially if you're gonna have a quite a young backline, um, then you can go Samu Karebi. You can either play around and and put Matt Moore at twelve, or you can have Samu at twelve um, on the wings. I don't know if you've know. I don't know if you guys watch uh, much rugby league, but um, they got that Suliasi Vunivalu yeah. coming from Melbourne Storm. Do you think he'll succeed? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got the skill set. Like sure. Yeah, he's he's definitely got the skill set to play rugby, and um, I I think I'm I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure he grew up in uh in Fiji, yep. so rugby rugby religion second nature. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think he'd slide in just fine. So if you have him on the wing and then Corbetti on the other, you can go Reese Hodge. Um, you can go uh, well. Dan Halapetti will probably play fullback, so you probably have. Uh, the two flying Fijians on the on the wing. Um, now, thirteen, you could either go Tavita Kundrani or you can go James O'Connor. Um, and depend, it sort of depends on the kind of balance that you want. If you want, um, if you've got enough firepower in, in terms of the carries, then you probably want a little bit more mm. ball players. So then you go James O'Connor. Yeah. Or I mean. But I'd hate to tackle Samu and then try and tackle Tavita. That not itself, you know. So I guess and you previously, probably, oops, sorry, yeah. So I guess you previously no, no, you go, talked about um 
uh, sort of player development and bring up from, I guess, sort of studying and slowly um, introducing players. What about Jordan Patea, yeah. who sort of got thrown into the quarters at England, but clearly has um, incredible skill set and potential? Yeah, and I, I think they should... Um, well, he's gotten a taste of it now. Yeah. Uh, they should probably try and bring him in slowly. Like, his body's still... Like, he's... The poor fella's had, like, some, some injury issues. Yeah, he's you know? had a so few injuries. They need to sort of slow his progression down a little bit just to ease him in, um, you know, because the last thing you want is his career being ruined by injuries. He's only, like, 20, you know? And he, he's got talent that could last, you know, over a decade, easily. Um, but that's if they manage him, manage him uh, prop, properly and and um, he, he's a man. Like, you, you saw him, what he did against, I think it was Georgia. He debuted mm. in the World Cup. Like, he's, he's got that, he's got the, the X factor, I feel. Yeah. Obviously, then you took a move also to move away from Australia and you went to Montpellier. You obviously had quite a torrid time with injuries there. They sort of, you never really managed to settle. How sort of, how did you go about trying to keep, trying to get some rhythm after suffering so many injuries? Uh, it was it was quite hard, uh, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, on top of that, I was sort of learning a new position as well. So I, I went to Montpellier hoping to sort of play in the midfield. Um, and I guess that sort of kept my mind off of, off what was really going on with the injuries and stuff. So I'm grateful that, that it sort of worked out for me, I feel. Um, it, it was uh, you just got to find a way to manage manage all of those all those things, and then also find a distraction to that'll also help you improve. So mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what I did. You said in into that both Pro 14 and Super Rugby are quite similar, but then rugby in France is very different. I was wondering whether you could just sort of go a bit further on this. And oh, it's um, <clears throat> rugby in France is quite attritional. Um, you know, it's still very much a four dominated game. Um, even though they score some spectacular tries, because you know the French flair is still there, like, but where where they find their, I guess, their identity in their in their sport is is through the tough stuff. Um, so the rocks, malls, set piece, it's all you know, it's all sort of where they base their identity from, as as much as the French flair as well. Yeah, for well, sure. that's what I. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a back, do you sort of did you in which league do you prefer playing the most? I guess between all three. Because you've got the speed and super, which I guess is quite appealing for a winger, especially. Yeah, I, I'll probably. I mean, you got to look at look at it from like uh, other aspects of it as well. Um, I'll probably say Super Rugby because you know the seasons are shorter mm-hmm. um, but you also get to do like crazy travel you see different parts of the world um, which is cool um, and also the, the style, of, style of play is awesome but then uh, Pro 14 was, was quite enjoyable as well like you, you got to tra- do a bit of travelling as well and see different parts of the world um, as well um, and then 
the, the style of rugby is um, my style. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on there that when you went to France, you wanted to move into the midfield. Is that, do you enjoy now playing midfield more? Or do you think you're better at the wing or do you prefer playing on the wing? No, I actually prefer playing it uh, in the midfield, um, a little bit close to the action. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I, I just wanted to evolve as a player. Um, and in Australia, I was probably always just seen as a winger. So I think I, I wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I was just going to get given a shot to, I guess, make that transition. Um, yeah. Then yeah. I've really enjoyed it, so, especially at Leinster. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that move to Leinster, what, what made Leinster so appealing to you? I think in terms of um, what I wanted to do, where I saw myself um, evolving as a player, it just, it just seemed like the, the perfect spot for me to go if I wanted to grow and continue to grow. And I, and I feel like my game's evolved so much. I mean, when I first got here, I was kind of like a jack-of-all-trades type of player, like a but master of none, you know. <laughs> and I, I really wanted to develop myself as a, um, in the midfield and, you know, working with Stuart Lancaster, uh, that sort of gave me the confidence to, to you know, nail down, okay, well, I, I feel my game suited to being a 12. Um, and then I started focusing on, on all the skill sets I needed to become, become a good 12. And, and you know, I, I had guys inside me like Johnny Sexton. You know, you can learn a bunch off. And then you got guys like Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose who are an unbelievable centre pairing. Uh, and I was able to learn off them. Um, and that helped my development a lot. Same with working with like guys like Ross Byrne and stuff. And even like the younger guys coming through that, you know, I learned more off them than they learned off me. What do you think makes Leinster such, be so successful? What's the secret to key to all their success? I think the way they nurture the young guys coming through, um, the way they, they're sort of gradually exposing guys um, and nurturing them through uh, as, as their career gets on. Um, you know, you look at last year's season where, you know, we had a lot of debutants coming through and um, who got a taste of it. And then those same guys that have played this year played so well. And it was, it was just like a seamless transition, whether we had the Irish Irish players or the internationals or not. But, you know, it, it just seemed like it was just a seamless transition. That's sort of like their strength. You know, they're, they're so good at, like, nurturing guys um, into into the league and, and giving them the right tools to, I guess, be successful. So I guess you played both Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere rugby. Would you like to see a like a aligned international club competition where you might see, say, the Brumbies play Leinster? Yeah, that'd be cool, man. That'd be really cool. But uh, it'd, it'd be quite hard to do because the seasons here are, are quite long. Um, mm. So if they shorten their seasons here, that'll be <laughs> that'll work out well. It'd be really cool, man, to see. I, I remember a couple of years ago the when Racing played the Highlanders, I think, in Hong Kong. Yeah, kind of was a one-off. Mm. Into hemisphere sort of championship, um, so maybe maybe something along those lines would be, yeah, would probably be better suited. Like a one-off. Hypothetically, Leinster versus Brumbies. Who's winning? <laughs> oh, 
just draw. And then we go <laughs> four extra times and then we just shake hands and just leave it at that. <laughs> oh. Well, so we've got one question that we always ask to all our guests and that's their favorite moment of their career. What would yours be? Um, sorry about that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I was probably, probably my debut, um, debut for the Wallabies. Even though we lost, we lost to Scotland. Um, you know, it's always special playing, playing for your country, and and um, whether you do it once or you know a hundred times, it's you're always going to remember your first one. I, I, I think that that's probably the Probably the, my favourite moment. Can you quickly talk us through the process of, so when you found out you're going to be making your debut, when you understood the process you went through from there? Well, uh, it, it was quite hard because, uh, you know, I was sort of learning a, a whole new structure, a whole new game style and stuff. So um, I was lucky though, because I, when I, de- I debuted with Digby Ioane, um, he, was, he was on the other wing and he just took me under, my, under his wing and, and sort of helped me. Um, sort of calm my nerves a little bit, um, but uh, you know Robbie Deans is an awesome coach, man. Uh, I was um, I'm so lucky that I got to work with him, um, and and he's, he also helped. Um, you know when coaches instill belief in you, it makes your makes your transition into sort of the next stage uh, so much so much easier. So um, you know having those sort of that external help from, from my teammates and the coach stuff just made it so much easier for me. Perfect. Well, Joe, I think we'll probably draw to a close there, but thank you so much for giving your time. Um, yeah, we wish you the best luck wherever you do end up playing rugby in the net. <laughs> I appreciate um, it, guys. <laughs> let your wife get her coffee now. Um, yeah. You can turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And then thank you to everyone else who's tuned in to listen to this. And we'll see you all very soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys, for having me. All the best. Well, that's it for Series 1, but we'll see you all very soon with Series 2. For now, keep safe and enjoy the rugby. Sports Social Podcast Network.